0: This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 923 FM, the voice of Harlem.
1: We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR. The Voice of Harlem. Have you ever Snapchat with a broken heart? Well, you can experience Snapchatting in my life. My heart ain't broken. My voice is sore. Selena Hill is mad because she do not want to Snapchat on that Instagram and talk that talk with the crazy people. And I'm here to tell you guys that Let Your Voice Be Heard is ready to do another segment. Do you have no idea what I just said? Neither do I. But if you were just tuning in, we finished the news roundup where we talked about Edward Snowden still releasing mixtapes and information about the U.S. government. Selena's mad about it. Alyssa loves Edward Snowden, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> when we put the music on, Alyssa found out a new poll came out, and it speaks in support of, I think, Bernie Sanders. Alyssa wants Bernie Sanders to win, and she is a polling tactician expert. I don't know when she has a chance to read polls through every state when she's a lawyer every single day of her life, <laughs> but she gets it done. Anyways, guys, if you want to know what's happening right now, it is not this foolishness that I am spewing out for you guys. It's actually something very serious. And even though you guys know I very rarely ever prepare, this is one of those topics where I thought it was important to make sure I gave you the accurate amount of context. So, if you guys did not know, and more than likely you didn't because the people who there who are suffering are not white or are in Paris... There is a civil war going on in South Sudan right now, and it really started off as political conflict, and it's quickly, very quickly turned into a very bloody affair. And what makes it even more troubling is that both sides of, of like, both sides... The there's no good guys, but opposing forces have no interest in having any kind of negotiation or reconciliation that can address this issue. They're just very stuck into the way that they want things to be. And also, as the U.N. has told us in the report they released just about a week and a half ago, both sides have people in high levels who know about the the assaults and the killings they're doing of civilians, which is at this point over 1.7 million people have been displaced, and about a quarter of their population is suffering from food security, about 3.9 million, just to be exact. Their, their leaders know this is happening, and they are okay with this at the moment. The White House, President Obama, and the guys over here in America had tried to help get a peace treaty going, and something kind of happened in August of 2014, but it quickly fell through. And as we speak, hundreds and thousands of people are being killed attacked displaced and just pretty much made victims in a war that has nothing to do with them and really if you want to be honest with it is a battle of egos and a need for political greatness over anything else and to help us with this conversation because it is a conversation where we're going to need a lot of context and we want you guys to learn is david i'm going to butcher this i'm going to tell my inner selena david abramowitz And he's an expert on South Sudan and the vice president for policy and government relations at Humanity United, which is a U.S.-based foundation dedicated to building peace and advancing freedom. And for over 10 years, Humanity United has done a lot of work on peace building and conflict transformation in certain countries in Africa, including South Sudan, the country that we are talking about today. So... David, thank you so much for calling into the show. Usually I ask people what their favorite brunch meal is, but I think because of what we're talking about, I don't want to do that because that would be a little bit weird. What I'd like to ask you then is what did you want to be when you were growing up as a kid?
2: Oh, I wanted to be a space astronaut. That was my goal all along. Or Actually, I think it was a space doctor was what I wanted to be when I was six.
1: That is amazing. I wanted to be the Green Ranger because I was obsessed with power. Oh, wow. That was, yes. <laughs> and then I found out he was evil. And I said, I could be evil. But then I realized being evil it takes a lot of work. And I wasn't really built for that or ready for that. So, David, that is probably the last of my silliness that you will see. I'm going to channel my very seriousness because I want the listeners to know what the hell is going on. And if you could just do us a favor of telling us how and why did the conflict in South Sudan begin?
2: Sure. So, uh, Stan, first of all, I have to say that your pronunciation of my name was probably the best on-air pronunciation I've had for a year. So thanks for that. The, um, the, The conflict in South Sudan really comes out of a long-standing civil war that existed between the northern and southern parts of Sudan, which ended up in 2005 in a peace agreement where South Sudan got its own independence. And then in 2011, it voted for our economy, I should say. In 2011, it voted for its independence and therefore is the youngest state in the world. What's happened since then, though, is that the transition from being a military movement that has tried to create independence for its people to a responsible government has been very difficult. It's always tricky. We see that all around the world when you try to have people who've only seen a military and violent way to deal with conflicts trying to move into a more normal politics. And what happened was that in 2013, there ended up being fractures within the governing party, the Sudan's People's Liberation Movement, which ended up in December 2013 starting a very violent conflict, which, as you said, started as politics, but then ended up into an ethnicized conflict.
1: So here's my question, because it seems like there are so many stories of different nations or provinces where things are starting off with good intentions. We want to have a government that's representative of everyone, or we want to get away from this poor leader and put in a new leader. And then, unfortunately, it breaks down to the point where you have political and sometimes just like violent unrest. Why do why there's so many stories of these kind of situations happening? Is there an overabundance of people who are power hungry and like just ambiguous to violence? Or is, is there like an issue of like something that, that U.S. or larger nations are doing to destabilize these countries in the first place? Well,
2: I think that you have to look at a lot of history here. First of all, there's the whole colonial issue. The state of Sudan and now the state of South Sudan is built with artificial borders that the British drew back in the early 20th century. And you have ethnic groups that are, are really separated from each other. So, for example, one uh, body of uh, ethnic group, that is involved in the conflict, the New Air, um, are, are partly in Ethiopia. And then another ethnic group, the Dinka, are also in Uganda. So you have these splits is sort of the, the first piece. The second is, is that in a conflict like a complicated civil war that happened in the 90s, 80s and 90s, inevitably bad blood gets drawn between different parts. So, for example, the Dinka and President Kiir, which is the major ethnic group in Uh, in South Sudan, um, had conflict during the Civil War with the opposition vice president, and there was, in fact, a massacre that happened in 1991 that the Vika have never forgotten, and they don't trust the leadership to really be uh, people who are going to have the best interests of the country. And that kind of distrust can easily metastasize into something far, far worse. So you've got Uh, You've got history of colonialism, you've got history of the divide and rule kind of opposition, and then you've got basic distrust that was never overcome.
1: Thank you so much for that. So, guys, if you are just tuning in, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard, and we are talking about the civil war in South Sudan. If you want to call in with a question or a comment, you can do so at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Selena had a question, so go ahead.
0: Yeah, I did. You know, thanks so much again, Dave, for, you know, calling in with us today and also doing so much work around this issue one of the things that really concerned me and is frustrating almost is the amount of people who have died and who have been displaced now and i wanted to make sure that um i wanted to get accurate figures from my reading it was like at least a hundred thousand lives have been taken from this almost secret civil war that no one's really talking about, and no one's almost heard of. Meanwhile, you have at least fifty thousand people who have lost their homes and are refuge refugees. And I'm like, where are they going? And what is happening? Like, no, you, after they after they lose their homes, like where, where do they go? Where well, can they resettle?
1: You yeah, know, I well, get that. Go ahead, David. D-
2: d- 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 sorry, Stan. Did you want to jump in?
1: I'm sorry. What was yeah. that, David?
2: The the you know the numbers are staggering. We've got 1.7 million displaced from their homes, and we really don't know how many people have died. We know that it's in the tens of thousands, but your hundred thousand number could easily be right. I think the other part of it, and I'll get to your question in a second, is how many people are threatened with food insecurity. When you have violent conflict like this, people's agricultural pastoralist lives get totally disrupted. So. Some 3.9 million people, as Stan said at the head of the story, are threatened with some level of food security, including potentially famine, depending on how this conflict works out. People go to a lot of different places. So you've got something like 250,000 people who've left the country and have gone to refugee camps in neighboring countries. You've got another 250,000 or so who fled to these UN camps. When the conflict started in December of 2013, there were a number of U.N. sites around the country because there's a peacekeeping operation there. And so the U.N. uh, leader at the time threw open the gates to their compounds, even though they're not really set up to receive people. And 250,000 people left and also continued to trickle in over the course of the last year and a half. And then people go out into the bush. It's a very frightening, but there's, uh, during any number of different uh, wars, people just pick up and they leave and they go out into um, areas with, that are, are unpopulated and hide from the conflict.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And and part of that, and, and I think that's a great segue into my question for you, Mr. Abramowitz, which is there has been reports of uh, rape sexual violence, cannibalism, widespread starvation, the conscription of children's soldiers. So for the people that are staying and not or that can't get far enough away from the conflict, um, what is the extent of these atrocities that we are hearing about? And what, if anything, is the International Criminal Court uh, or the U.N., other tribunals doing to deal with what seems to me like widespread crimes against humanity and war crimes?
2: It is a really tragic situation. The human rights abuses have been documented all across the conflict zones, and are now starting to happen even in areas in the country where there hasn't been conflict. Gender-based violence has been terrible. There's been any number of uh, incidents that we really don't have a complete number on um, in terms of rapes by military forces on both sides. Um, you have the, U- the most recent UN report by the panel of experts appointed by the Security Council to document abuses indicates that there have been whole communities that have been targeted by both sides. So the human rights abuses have been terrible. In terms of what the uh, international community has been doing, the um, African Union appointed a commission of inquiry uh, during in, in um, 2014 and finished a report in which they said that the violence that was carried out was in furtherance of state policy, so clearly pointed to the government as ones who were responsible and they argued that rather than going to a the international criminal court in europe that there should be a special um hybrid court made up of both sudanese and africans and potentially others who would try these cases and try to create some sort of international justice that was agreed to by the parties in the august 2015 peace agreement, which has not yet really taken hold. And I think that the United States should be supporting the establishment of that tribunal. Right now, the African Union is having a heads of state uh, conference in Ethiopia, and there's a U.S. delegation there led by Gail Smith, and I'm hoping that uh, she's pushing them to actually create this tribunal so there can be some justice for the victims.
1: David, when I hear things like this, the first thing I think of is, holy crap, why don't we just get rid of these leaders or these people who are starting the war? And then I take a deep breath and take a step back because I saw what happened when we removed Saddam Hussein from Iraq. It creates this power vacuum. If we... If the U.S. maybe assisted in a process that was a bit more aggressive than what you just suggested with the tribunal and actually got rid of these leaders, is there any force or any leadership establishment there or potential leadership establishment that might be able to help foster in, and I hate to say this, but a, a moderate perspective that's not so ridden with violence and, like, you know, I guess power-hungriness?
2: Well, how do you get there is the question, Stan. It, 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 I don't think that uh, the, the American people really want to send in uh, you know, 30,000, 40,000 troops to take over the country. So it, it, who, how would we get to a place where the two top leaders have to resign? I agree with you. The future of South Sudan is really dependent on new leadership. That's what the country needs to get past what just happened and to some degree what's happened in the recent past. And the the question is, can we support an internal process with the churches, who are one of the only uh, institutions in the country that have any credibility, to try to take these leaders and ease them out of power and bring in a new generation of leaders, or do we need something like the hybrid tribunal to force them to leave their offices because of the threat of prosecution, or do we then go to the U.N. and try to get the U.N., to use the power of the Security Council to effectively create a trusteeship. I think it's very difficult to try to impose something like that last part on a new state. They proudly created their own state. They have uh, dreams, they've had dreams of their own sovereignty, and to try to have some sort of foreign uh, intervention that would create some sort of interim administration, which has been done in other places like East Timor. I think it will be very difficult and very unpopular.
1: Yeah, and it really wouldn't. And personally I, I have a lot of feelings about this. I think that unfortunately the people of South Sudan are gonna are gonna be in for a couple of years, to say the least, of this turmoil because when you when you you're in situations like this, there's no clear answer, as you've obviously articulated when you were giving some of the suggestions of things that might work but would take a lot of effort but um we do have to go on a quick break david when we come back i want to talk about the media's silence on this at least new america's mainstream media because there hasn't been much talk about this luckily because Alyssa is a media maven along with polling expert she showed, she shared a new york times article that really like broke down a story for us so when we come back we want to talk about that but until then guys we're going on a quick a quick break this is let your voice be heard on 90.3 fm whcr the voice of harlem oh man oh man oh man
0: not again yeah i learned again game Oh. Can, can I just over. say, Stanley played that song because he's wearing let his favorite see. yoga pants today. I am
1: wearing my favorite sweatpants hair tight, Selena. Stop They're so tight, me. I thought they were yoga
0: pants. I'm You're sorry. You're such
1: a loser and I hate you. <laughs> this is let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, we are talking about the civil war in South Sudan. Or if your name is Selena Hill, you call it the secret civil war in South Sudan. And I almost don't blame her because until we heard about this from a New York Times article, which neither one of us can afford to subscribe to... <laughs> But thankfully, <laughs> Alyssa has rich friends, so she steals their subscription. We were able to watch this. Hey, like I no pay s-
3: for the New York Times. Yes, she doesn't yes. steal. She's yes. a lawyer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Alyssa. I'm going to dry snitch on you. Um She pays for the New York Times with her money that she makes lawyering and polling. But anyways, guys, until we heard about this story or read about this story in the New York Times, I had no idea what was happening. And I, if you would to ask me to... Point out South Sudan in a map. South Sudan in a map. I would not have been able to. I probably still can't. I'm not going
3: to s- name I, any names, I, look, but there's certain people in this room <laughs> that were no, not sure that it was a separate country. Well, <laughs> South Sudan
0: is one of the newest countries in the world. It wasn't always. They have a Jordans that
1: are older than South Sudan. Is what the they is saying.
0: Like if, I wasn't. I thought she meant the south of Sudan. Okay, she, I didn't know that South Sudan is a country. Well, I guess she that's like, a good did, question she, for our
3: guest. Is that part of the reason why the media or why people have trouble paying attention to this? Because they, you know, they think Sudan and they don't realize that they're two separate countries, or you think that the problem is way bigger than that?
2: Well, I think that there are a number of different reasons for it. Let me just give you an example that has to do with the changing structure of media. There's just not enough money in the mainstream media to be putting foreign correspondents overseas. If you look at most of the datelines on the stories that you're reading, I'm sure that most of them are coming from Nairobi, because people just don't have the ability to put people in these trouble spots. So, for example, back in 2010, 2011, in the workup to the the referendum that led to the independence of South Sudan, there was basically no one in the country covering what was a very dicey situation at the time. And we actually gave some support to McGlatchy to put a stringer in Juba to cover all the many stories that were leading up. So that's one problem, is you just don't have people who are there. Do people
3: not want to go there?
2: Um, I do think that there's a problem. That the infrastructure in the country is very weak. You know, of course, there are places where foreigners can stay. But it's hard to get around. It's, you know, not necessarily the garden spot of the world. It has, it, you know, when the rainy season comes, the roads become impassable. You can't get around the country. So it is a difficult environment to do reporting from. But I think that there have been reporters who have been doing it, you know, for years. What? The thing is, is that I think because of that, There's really the only time they're really covering these stories are when there's like a big spike. So, around the independence referendum, there was a big spike when President Obama traveled to Africa this summer and made South Sudan a key part of his agenda there, both in Nairobi and in Ethiopia. They sort of reported on it. But if you look at the app in between some of those times, there's just this huge drop off where uh, people are, are are not focused on it. I guess the last reason is that it is complicated. You know, it's kind of like Game of Thrones meets East Africa. And it's it's, it's a very difficult conflict to interpret for the readership. And I think that, the, that there's no clear narrative. And you know how the, the mainstream media loves to have a clear narrative that they can explain and point to the good guys and bad guys. We so don't have that here. And so it just becomes a mess.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point, David, and also something that's really been grinding my gears. I don't know if you know this, but Al Jazeera America is closing shop at the end of March. And the reason being, yeah, they're going to lay off over like 400 staff members. They have to because... They were not getting the ratings that they needed to stay on air. And one of the things that Al Jazeera like, really prided itself on was covering the news and not covering whatever was the flavor of the week, which is what a lot of CNN and even MSNBC and Fox News does. And which is why you see so much coverage of some racist white guy, as Lissa mentioned while we were on break. Um, and Al Jazeera was one of those places that you can do that. Mainstream media is really a slave to ratings now. And when you have institutions like Al Jazeera that cannot, that can't give you news because no one will watch it, what are you supposed to do? And I think that's one of the reasons why this South Sudan story hasn't gotten as much coverage. Luckily for the New York Times, it's an institution within itself. You're not... New York Times will always be here, whether it's digital or, or print. It'll always be here, so we're lucky with that. But that's one of the biggest reasons, Selena.
0: I also wanted to add that Democracy Now! has also been doing a great job of covering this civil conflict uh, in the last few years. So there are independent media outlets out there, hence Let Your Voice Be Heard is one. But there's obviously there's not enough.
1: So, David, what can we do now as just people who are a part of the independent media and the awesome media, which you guys should listen to, what can we do to help keep this story hot?
2: Well, I think that, you know, looking at some of these key moments and making sure that this is uh, an issue that comes up uh, with people who are in a place to do something about it. You know, this is the last year of the Obama administration. Gail Smith, who, as i mentioned, is the administrator of USAID. She's an old Sudan, South Sudan hand. They should be trying to take some action to try to cement the legacy that they started in 2011 when they helped this country become a state to really focus and try to create some additional pressure to change the direction of of this conflict. So that's one thing. Second, I think that you can try to bring on, uh, you can try to get more independent experts out there talking about this so that the U.S. government and others don't just put this aside. Let's face it, there are a lot of conflicts going on around the world. There's a lot of issues that keep on pushing Sudan and South Sudan down to the bottom of the priority list, and we need to all of us continue to do more to push those who do have some influence in these areas to do more
1: we, there's you you said something a couple of seconds ago you said there's this this is not the only conflict going on in the world. there are multiple conflicts going on in the world, and I, I think we can pinpoint to Syria as one of those places where the the country is in a civil war, and South Sudan has some similarities to what's going on in Syria in which like there's the, a huge issue of food insecurity out there you have a warring warring leaders in Syria but the difference in Syria is that you have one like powerful leader Assad and then you have like these like subgroups fighting to overthrow him now one of the things that Selena has mentioned and that Lisa has mentioned was that why do people why are people so ready to talk about Paris but not South Sudan do you think it's fair to put those two like incidences the terrorist attack in Paris and then what's going on in South Sudan in the same conversation well, I think
2: that you know the the notion of um, the Islamic State um, being able to act anywhere in your hometown, um, including you know both of our hometowns in New York and Washington D.C., you know, is something that is uh, is an important story. So I don't think we should say it's not an important story. It could affect any of us. But I think that it's the the, the challenge is that. People gravitate to something that they're familiar with. People can, it resonates with people when a major European, I'm talking about the US, the U.S. population, when a major European capital gets attacked. It's so much harder to look at this conflict and see why they should care. And there are a lot of reasons the U.S. should care um, and the U.S. people should care. One is our values and the humanitarian suffering that we've been talking about. The second is is that these states that start collapsing into disorder because of a civil war, they are exploited by those people who do want to hurt us. And South Sudan, when you guys found it on the map, you can see that it's right in the middle of a very volatile region with Central African Republic, Chad, Somalia. These are all either neighbors or near neighbors, and it can really contribute to an instability that can not only... Pull down a, a region of the country which is actually having a lot of successes economically, and a lot of people are benefiting. But it can also be a danger for, uh, for for even us here in the homeland.
0: David, you know, I was thinking about that question of why more mainstream media outlets aren't covering this and how we can push to get this in the news. But then I said, let's take a step back. Why should we even try to depend on them when we have social media? And that's exactly how the Boko Haram, Um, the Boko Haram terrorist attack in Nigeria started getting all this coverage when we had the Where Are Our Girls campaign, social media campaign. And I think that with the power of social media, this can actually go even further. So should we actually be strategizing on how to get millennials involved, how to get us tweeting about it? Maybe, I mean, I I hate to sort of like minimalize it by saying, can we get a cool hashtag? But that works.
2: And there's no doubt that I think that trying to bringing new generations of activists into this uh, story is really important. You know, and when the Darfur genocide broke out, there was this huge swell of interest in Sudan, and that carried over into trying to end the war between um, uh, Sudan and South Sudan. And I think that we do need to try to generate more public pressure. And, you know, the social media does work. We were working on trying to get a U.S. ambassador to South Sudan. There hadn't been one for nine months. Wow. And you're we going, God, you got to have U.S. leadership there to really make it happen. And we did a social media campaign directed at uh, Senator McConnell and Senator Reid, the majority and minority leaders in the Senate. And it worked. They got and we still have a whole string of ambassadors who still haven't been confirmed. But fortunately, the U.S. ambassador to South Sudan did get confirmed. And my understanding is she's been quite amazing.
3: Excellent. Excellent. So on that note, I guess we're going to start to wrap it up. So my final question for you is really about the going back to the actual conflict itself, which is, uh, is there an end to this conflict? Uh, what would what would an end look like? And uh, what is the probability that whatever that end point looks like uh, will actually hold up uh, versus uh, the probability that uh, civil war breaks out after a supposed uh, resolution of the conflict?
2: Uh, Alyssa, there's an optimistic scenario and a pessimistic scenario, and many in between. The optimistic scenario is that the threat of sanctions, the pressure from the international community finally gets the sides to basically negotiate their own deal about how they can work together and try over the next three to four years try to put the country back together again. There is going to be violence. We have to say that South Sudan was a highly fragmented state. There will still be pop-up violence, but it won't be at the same level as it was. And then, as we discussed before, that part of that agreement has to be towards a new generation of leadership. The leaders who are there now, I don't think can carry the country forward into the future. There needs to be an effort, whether it's through international justice, whether it's through international diplomacy, You try to get the current guys out and get a new vision for the country, because that's part of the problem. The vision is all about leptocracy, corruption, trying to get what, you know, it's their turn to eat, trying to use the resources of the country. You need to have someone who comes in, a group of people who comes in, who has a vision for the country that will be one that will really look at the needs of the people and not the needs of their pocketbooks.
1: Thank you very much for that, David. We do have to wrap up. So before I let you go, could you please let the listeners know how they can learn more about this story and support
2: it? I'm sure the uh, if you go to the Enough Project, um, that has uh, they've been working on these issues for a long time. I've done many papers on that. John Prendergast just did testimony uh, before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. United and Genocide, also as well as Oxfam America, who've been working on the humanitarian issues. Um, I just did a blog post in The Hill magazine, uh, which they could they could find, um, as well as, if people are really interested in walking out, this panel of experts report that just came out, uh, which I'm sure you guys have, is uh, you could post, and there's great information in there about the entire conflict.
1: Thank you so much for that, David. You enjoy the rest of your Sunday.
2: Thank you very much, and thanks for having me.
1: Thank no you. Problem. Thank you. So, guys, I'm going to make this quick because I think it's a very simple thing that we need to understand. One of the things I've learned about people in power is that a lot of times, unfortunately, they are drunk on their power. And how does that happen? How do people who seem to have good intentions just have things go completely wrong? Well, think about it. How many good managers have you ever had in your life as a professional? Think of all the times you've had a good manager. You probably can count it on one hand, unfortunately, because you're more than likely to get someone who's bad at being a manager than a good one. And why is that? Because no one, there's no training for it. That People kind of jump in and you have to learn on the fly. That goes with the same thing of being in power. Some people, they come into power, and they have this broad vision, and they want to make things happen. And then along the way, they get caught up in how they feel and what's not going their way, and they start to push and punish and fight. And it hurts everyone else because what they're not thinking about is the bigger picture. They get so wrapped up in their own emotions into so what they feel that people should be saying or doing for them or how they feel they should be perceived. They forget about everyone else. And a lot of times when you have people who are in power and their citizens are suffering, it's because that person has become so drunk on their own fart, to be honest with you, that they don't realize that what they're doing is hurting everyone else. And if they do realize it, they don't care. And if you want to be someone who has influence that can make change or maybe even lead something, whether it be a country or an office or, a, you know, a community service team, what you always have to remember is that it's bigger than you. And in South Sudan right now, everyone in a position to make a positive change, who is not, who is causing destruction, who is causing famine, who is giving the affirmative to raping and pillaging towns and cities and people, they have forgotten that it is bigger than them and they are caught up in their egos. Yes, it is really that simple. When you get into the top chair, it is very easy to get drunk. Drunk by the vertigo these people are drunk we have a country where people want to be drunk on power and until we start to say something like hey maybe it isn't about what we feel and it's about the bigger picture until we do that there will always be an idiot at the top drunk off of their power not willing to listen burning the world why because some people just like to watch the world burn we'll be right back guys on slash your voice be heard episode and when we return we'll have dara the dreamer and mother and doer <laughs>